Hi, I'm Alex L., and I write books for a living. The Hey Girl podcast was created with sisterhood and storytelling in mind. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Join us as we journey through sharing together. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hi, Dr. Tama. How are you today? I am doing really well. Glad to connect with you. I am so honored. I've been a fan of your work for, oh my goodness, the past year and a half now. And I am just really excited to dive into this talk about community healing and self-care and all of those things. But before we get started, can you please let the Hey Girl listeners know who you are and what you do? All right, absolutely. And I am so appreciative of your work and for this space that you have created as well. I'm Dr. Tama. I'm a licensed psychologist in the Los Angeles area. I have a private practice. I'm also an ordained minister in the AME Church and a sacred artist using dance and spoken word poetry to heal. And I host the Homecoming Podcast, which facilitates the journey back home to ourselves, knowing that so much gets us disconnected, and we really want to live our authentic selves fully. Mm, That is beautiful. So to just dive right in, let's talk about how you stepped into your career as a psychologist and the importance of intertwining dance and poetry into your sacred practice that you offer your clients and the people of your community. Absolutely. So I am a pastor's daughter. And so growing up, and I'm African American, so growing up in our community, a lot of people didn't talk about therapy or going to therapy. Usually people went to their pastor. And so that was often people calling our home in distress for various reasons. And even as a child, if I answered the phone and my parents weren't there, people would just start sharing. And it really is, I think, healers are not just trained and taught, but also born. And I really, from very early, had a heart and a compassion for people and the capacity to sit with people who were in really difficult circumstances. And then I I had my own uh, healing journey, multiple experiences. I'm a sexual assault survivor. And also in high school, my family moved to Liberia, West Africa, which for the first year was wonderful. But unfortunately, in the second year, a civil war broke out. Mm -hmm. And so those things combined with growing up in Baltimore, where unfortunately there is a lot of community violence, gave me a heart for trauma and for my own process and journey, knowing that it was not just talk therapy, although that's a part of it, but also the arts and spirituality and community being a part of the healing journey. And so that is something that I offer to clients. And also as I'm training students, I teach in the graduate program at Pepperdine University, talking about really inclusive models of healing because we are holistic beings. So mind, body, and spirit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that approach, the holistic approach to offering those things to your students. And hopefully, especially as Black folks, like we can lean into our mind, body, soul through these different therapeutic ways of getting closer to ourselves, coming home to ourselves. So I want to piggyback just a little bit and talk about you being raised in the church and how that shaped you, how your faith has shaped you as a Black woman and as a Black psychologist doing this work for our community. 
Yes, I definitely see them as interwoven. I think sometimes people who don't understand them fully can think that they are opposing, but actually psychology comes from the word psyche, which is the soul. So it is Mm. the study of the soul. And the original uh, theorists in psychology were actually people of faith. There had been a transition where there was a desire to prove it to be this hard science and in some ways to disconnect from the sacred or spiritual, but at its roots, it's there. And for me as a Black woman, it is integral and it requires the therapeutic process requires faith to believe I can be more than I am right now, that my life can be fuller than it is right now. And when we look at what we have lived through, if I judge it based on what I see, if I judge it based on how people have treated me, that I would expect that to continue. I would expect the dysfunction, the trauma, the distress to continue. And so to dare to lean into, to show up for my own wellness is to believe I can have and experience and manifest that which I have not yet seen. Mm. How have you found that your work has impacted the Black community as far as using the holistic approach to get us back to our bodies, to get us back to our heart's work? How have you found that it's not just the talk therapy, it is the movement, it is the language, it is the poetry? How have you found that to be helpful? I have found people are so much more receptive when there is space for the fullness of who we are, that we don't have to leave parts of ourselves out when we enter into therapy, but also in our faith communities, not having to leave our minds out, our emotions out, our hearts out. So whenever we create spaces where we can tell the truth, where Mm. we don't have to be filtered or censored, where I can name the fact that I'm blessed and have panic attacks, that, you know, you can love the Lord and be going through a breakup. So all of the layers of who we are are so critical. And the interesting thing as well is people have these million dollar grants in psychology to discover paths of wellness. And some of the things they find are things that our foreparents knew. And I'm thinking in particular, more recently, there's been a lot of uh, research done on the vagus nerve and ways that we can calm ourselves when we're feeling panic. And after breathing, the next thing that they mention that they discover is the healing or therapeutic impact of humming, Hmm. which made me think about church mothers, right? Sitting, rocking, and humming, right? So now we've done these million dollar grants to be able to discover. (laughs) (laughs) If you sit down somewhere and hum to yourself and rock, breathe, that is also a path and a part of our healing and reconnection to ourselves.
I think we knew, but I was going to say, who knew that the black aunties and mamas and grandmamas (laughs) in church doing the rocking and the humming had the answers, you know? Had the answer. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That just brings me so much joy, especially having a grandmother who is, you know, God has just graced her with so much life still in her 70s Ah, and she's still in the church and she's Mm -hmm. still praying for me. She's still covering me in her prayers and her humming and her breathing and her song. So it's just to hear that, it just gave me chills and just reminded me so much of my Nana. I love that. And I'm so glad, you know, you named that because a part of the pushback that some people give when we name self-care is also the importance of community care. Yes. Right. Which is what you name of having a praying grandmother or having an auntie, you know, who will tell you the truth, even when it's hard, that when we can be there for each other in very real ways that it is freeing, there's liberation there that not only are we healing from what we have gone through and continue to go through, but reminding us who we are so that we don't define ourselves by our wounds. Mm. Speaking of wounds. I want to talk about something you shared on Instagram a few days ago that really struck a nerve with me. It says, those who survived emotional storms and psychological fires often sleep light and keep their jaw or back tight. Diligent, cautious, ready. Healing creates space for or even moments of laying down the armor. Breathe. Mm -hmm. And man, like that made my arm hairs stand up. To be Mm -hmm. able to see that permission to say, yes, right now you may be diligent, you may be cautious, you may be ready for battle, but you don't have to be. That you can heal and create that space for ease and for Mm. breath and for coming back to the body and being aware that it is okay to let your guard down and lay your armor down, as you say so eloquently. Can you talk a bit about that and how folks who have been wounded, who do feel broken, how important it is for them to give themselves permission or even surround themselves with people who can give them the permission to lay that armor down and to be in ease for a moment? Yes, that our healing entails not having to live 24-7 in warrior mode. Mm. And many of us, by trauma, by culture, by family, especially the girl child, is taught to always be ready, to not let them catch you slipping, Mm. to scan your environment at all times and all places, to have your mask on. We even have the poem from the Harlem Renaissance, we wear the mask that grins and lies, it hides our teeth and shades our eyes, And so we are taught that, that you don't let people see you vulnerable. You don't let them see you cry. You don't let people see your softness Mm -hmm. uh, in order to survive. And there has been a reason for that, right? That lesson didn't come, you know, out of the blue, that living with the realities of racism, sexism, trauma, and other forms of oppression that many of us have had to fight. But being in fight mode, in warrior mode, in combat mode is not the same thing as healing. Mm. It's not the same thing as wellness. And so to really give ourselves permission for our humanity, that a part of my healing is to be able to say it hurts. A part of my healing is to be able to say I'm tired. A part of my healing is to be able to say, I don't know. The permission for the full range of the human experience to not have to be one dimensional. And I find that those of us, and I'll include myself in it, those of us who are often identified as the strong one, the strong one in your family, the strong one in your church, the strong one on your job, that we can buy into that identity and never have a soft place to land 
but be the landing for everyone else. Mm. And so needing to be intentional about creating spaces for mutuality, for reciprocity, for truth telling, for the softness as a part of our wellness. Oh my goodness. That is it. That is the answer right there. Can you define wellness for me in your own words, especially as it becomes um, exceedingly popular and trendy, right? But at the root, at the root of who we are, at our core, what is wellness and how can it support our highest self and then translate into self-care as community care? Mm-hmm. So to live well is to physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually flourish, to shift out of survival mode and actually be able to thrive, to live in fulfillment, to have what is referred to as an abundant life so that I am not marginalized even in my own imagination, where I can show up fully, I would say uncensored, unedited, no additives, no preservatives, no pretense, fully me, Mm -hmm. then I am well. And so in order to do that, it also means what you raise about care, because to be well is a daily practice of wellness, that it's not something I did five years ago, so now I'm going to be well forever. Right. But it is a lifestyle of breath, a lifestyle of feeding myself from a place of this body deserves nutrient. This body deserves substantive eating. This body deserves to go lay down somewhere and take a nap. (laughs) This mind deserves some sessions. I am worthy. And that that is not selfish or self-absorbed. That is a woman who is committed to living well. Mm. And so that becomes my daily practice and one that can even change over time because as we go through our lives, our needs change, our clarity changes, we outgrow some circumstances. And so it is a never ending journey and a commitment to that drives that journey to really being everything that I was born to be nothing less and nothing more. So as we shift gears, of course, I have to ask you of how you take care of yourself as a giver, as someone who is consistently pouring into others as their life's work, right? So how do you slow down? How do you take care so that when you show up in your spaces of educating and listening and healing, that you're able to do so in the most intentional and replenished way possible? Yeah, so I'll mention three things briefly. One is morning devotions, and I would say really a daily practice of setting the tone for your day because so much comes at us, and if we don't have a way to nourish our spirit, then we will be very reactive, right, to whatever comes on the news, whatever somebody says to you in the parking lot, that that will like hijack your day. 
Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's in the morning, starting with reading and prayer and meditation. I even like to start with singing because I have set a course for myself for the day. And I remember I was working at a very toxic job a number of years ago. And as I was walking in one morning, the assistant director said to me, you know, Tama, you always seem so happy. And I get the idea. It has nothing to do with this place. And I said to her, you're right. If I was dependent on this place for my joy, I'd be a miserable person. Wow. And so I don't go out looking for someone out there or something external to me to give it to me, right? That I feed my spirit each morning. And then the second thing for me is dancing. I love to dance. And there is something called embodied healing, where we recognize that we store stress and trauma in our bodies. And so there's an aspect of healing that will not come just from talking about it, but there is a release that is needed from our backs. And I would say, especially for Black people, for Brown people, often we don't have the languaging around the psychology. So instead of being depressed, we'll talk about migraines. Instead of anxious, then we're nauseous. Right. We have backache. We have so much backache in our community. You wonder, like, what is it we're holding up? Right. Mm -hmm. And so being able to dance and even in the midst of the pandemic, there's so much online dancing and movement and yoga is so important. And then the last thing I'll just mention is boundary setting. I had to learn how to say no. And that was actually different from the way I grew up. And, you know, to come full circle, talking about growing up in the church, I really was kind of given the message, whenever anybody asks you for something, you have to do it, Mm -hmm. right? Like if anybody needs anything, you need to be there, whatever it is, like that that is somehow like your sacred duty. And it was so liberating for me. I went to a women's retreat a number of years ago and there was a sister and she said, just because you can do something doesn't mean it's your assignment, especially if you're a multi-gifted person, you will have people pulling at you at all times and in all places. So yes, I have the capacity or the gift or the know-how, but I'm also not a mini Messiah. I refuse to function in that way that like, if I don't do this, the world will crumble. No, there are other gifted people. And so sometimes I'll refer people to other people or I'll just say, I can't do it. So I'm learning how to say no to some things so I can say yes to the things that are in alignment for me in this season is critical for my well-being. Thanks for listening to the show today. Please rate, subscribe, and review. Also, feel free to share with a friend. We love having our community grow. Music is by DC's own Kokai. The Hey Girl podcast is produced by Wayne Bertram and me, Alex L.